Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. A bipartisan effort to combat sexual assault in the military and overhaul the armed forces' policies on sexual assault has filibuster-proof support and has for a while. But even still, legislation has not made it through Congress. People like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley on the same bill as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. How often do you have that? You don't. And usually when you do, it's passed into law super quickly and easily. But, you know, this issue, the military still has a lot of sway on this. That's Rachel Bade, who co-authors Playbook and just hosted a summit for Politico's Women Rule Initiative, looking at congressional efforts to change things. I talked to Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, a Democrat from New York. So I started looking at this issue over the last decade, being a member on the Armed Services Committee. And I heard from countless women and men that while serving in the U.S. military, they were brutally raped. Uh, and then when they tried to come forward, they were often disbelieved. And Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa. Enough is enough. We've given the military enough time. Now is time to be very aggressive about the moves that we are making. Who have bipartisan legislation to take the prosecution of sexual assault in the military out of the chain of command. The numbers are staggering. An estimated 20,000 service members are sexually assaulted every year, but only 7,816 service members report those cases. And in only 350 cases were perpetrators charged with a crime. There's just been a lot of opposition from the military on this issue. They want the commander in charge, even though those commanders don't have law degrees. Uh, So it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today, Rachel Bate on the politics shaping the fight against sexual assault in the military. When the women rule organizers in our events team sort of came to me with this event idea in July, I will admit I was a little surprised um, because I thought this had already been, this issue had already been sort of ironed out. Tonight, the U.S. Army is responding to our exclusive CBS News investigation into sexual assault in the military and acknowledging they must do better. Uh, This issue of dealing with sexual assault within the chain of command in the military. This has actually been a problem that's been going on for a really long time, and one that actually touched my community growing up personally. When I was a sophomore in college, a girl that went to my church, um, she had joined the Marines and disappeared, and disappeared right after she was about to testify that a superior in the military had raped her and impregnated her, Um, And she had told her mother, who was an acquaintance of my mom, actually, at our church, that the investigation had gone, quote, sour, and she didn't know what to do. And then her body turned up a few days later in the backyard of this guy who assaulted her. So this is a problem that goes all the way back, you know, decades, um, ever since women sort of started joining the military and serving. And there have been a lot of really terrible situations. And in fact, you know, this was thrust into the spotlight again in 2020 when another woman, uh, Vanessa Guillen, uh, who was serving at Fort Hood, was also murdered. And she was telling her family that she had been 
sexually abused and, and assaulted by a bunch of guys she was serving with. Tonight, the Army's long-awaited report into Specialist Vanessa Guillen's disappearance and murder finding that she had indeed been sexually harassed by a superior. Investigators say she was sexually harassed by a supervisor at Fort Hood and military leaders ignored her allegations. The harassment is not linked to her murder, but the report also reveals new details about her suspected killer as well. You know, you look at some of these stats um, and, you know, they say there are about 20,000 estimated sexual assaults that occur in the military every year. Only about a third of them get actually reported. And of those, a very small percentage actually go all the way to a prosecution and a conviction. And so just in the year fiscal 2020, of the 20,000, less than 1% actually got to a conviction. Wow. So there's a big problem happening. It's been happening for a really long time where, you know, women don't, they do either don't want to report because of the retaliation they could face. And then that sort of just continues this culture of this boys club of the military when women are trying to serve too. And so when I found out, you know, we were thinking about doing this event, my first reaction was surprise. I thought this whole thing had been taken care of already. I don't follow the issue closely. And I got sort of back up to speed in doing this research and talking to these two senators who have been working on this issue behind the scene. And it's just been such an incredible story. I'm just, I was just surprised it hadn't been dealt with yet. Well, tonight, there's rare bipartisan support in Congress to change the way that the military handles cases of sexual assault by removing commanders and putting independent investigators in charge. So the two senators you talked to, Gillibrand and Ernst, they've been at the center of this push, especially Gillibrand, to overhaul the military's policies and make it so that outside investigators handle these cases rather than the usual chain of command. What did you learn from talking with them? I learned how hard they've been working behind the scenes. You know, this is not an issue that is in the headlines very often, which again, perhaps is why I hadn't realized it was still a problem. But Kirsten Gillibrand actually introduced her first bill on a bipartisan basis with Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa, Republican from Iowa, all the way back in 2013. Too often, women and men have found themselves in the fight of their lives, not in the theater of war, but in their own ranks, among their own brothers and sisters and ranking officers, in an environment that enables sexual assault. In every year since then, she has been meeting with every member of the U.S. Senate who does not support this. And she's faced a lot of resistance. I mean, the whole military has been against this for years. They want to keep it in the chain of command. But gradually over time, she was able to sort of make the case and convince people until she had about 33 senators by 2020 or 2019 who backed her idea. And then I learned how she sort of changed Joni Ernst's mind. And Joni Ernst was a commander herself in the National Guard. She was opposed to this idea for a long time and agreed with the military and sort of gave the military time to fix the issue. And of course, being a commander, having uh, served the soldiers uh, that were in my chain of command, 
uh, certainly being with a part of that chain of command. I understand how it, important it is that commanders are able to discipline their soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines. I think that is important. And However, it never got fixed. And so in 2020, she changed her mind and joined Gillibrand. And they both have been working together to make the case to their colleagues. And now they have something like 66 co-sponsors. So the first thing I would say I learned is like, wow, these women are running around the Capitol and actually getting, you know, moving the needle by this argument. The other thing I would say I learned is that they have had a small victory and that because of this pressure campaign that they have sort of created behind the scenes, we now have a military leadership that is willing to take sexual assault prosecution out of the chain of command. They are willing to do it. But there's this new fight that's happening that I was not aware of. And that is that these two senators say they shouldn't just do it for sexual assault. They should do it for all major felonies, any sort of crime. And when it comes to that, they're not there yet. They are still lobbying their colleagues. They have a lot of support in the Senate, but they're still fighting the military. And look, it's been 15 years since the girl at my church disappeared you know, how much longer is it going to be until they make these changes? Hmm. So there's still some opposition. It has taken a very long time to get the support that they have, and, and nothing is passed at this point. But, I mean, when you do consider this alongside all of the partisanship we've seen on display recently, the fight over infrastructure spending, the debt limit, the possibility of a government shutdown, it does seem kind of amazing to me in a way that you have a bipartisan pair of senators getting filibuster-proof bipartisan support at this point for their effort to change the law on this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because this issue really is a breath of fresh air when it comes to, as you mentioned, the bipartisan support. People like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley on the same bill as Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. How often do you have that? You don't. And usually when you do, it's passed into law super quickly and easily. But, you know, this issue, the military still has a lot of sway on this. And they're not there when it comes to this proposal by Senator Ernst and Senator Gillibrand. And they do have a lot of power in Washington, especially when it comes to what's known as the National Defense Authorization Act, or the NDAA, as they call it on Capitol Hill, kind of wonky. Um, It's a must-pass bill. They have to pass it every year. And I think, you know, legislating is hard, especially in the Senate. It takes time There's a lot of things Democrats want to do in terms of Biden's agenda in the next few weeks. And, you know, they're going to prioritize things that they want to pass first, which is what they're doing right now, to be honest and to be frank, right? They want to focus on, you know, reconciliation. They've got to fund the government, keep the government open. They've got to lift the debt ceiling, figure out how to avoid a default. And this, you know, unfortunately, is going to fall by the wayside for a while because they have other priorities that they want to address. I do think, and Senator Gillibrand made this point at the very end, that if it's is not included in NDAA and she doesn't get her floor vote quickly from Senator Schumer, she's going to, you know, light a fighter under President Biden. He is the ultimate commander in chief. And if he wants this to get through, all he's got to do is talk about it. You know, all he's got to do is is make a vocal push for this. It's so close and yet not quite there. And so, you know, both of them said they've got some work to do. But I think the hardest part is done. And, you know, they're very close to sort of getting this over the finish line. Rachel Bade, thanks so much for talking with me. 
absolutely, it's a great and important topic. Rachel Bade is a co-author of the Politico Playbook newsletter. She hosted the conversation with Senators Ernst and Gillibrand as part of a Women Rule Summit. You can find more on that at politico.com slash women rule. Also today, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is defending his state's decision to re-examine the results of the 2020 presidential election. Speaking to Fox News over the weekend, Abbott rejected the idea that he was merely bowing to the wishes of former President Donald Trump and said the audits are about, quote, every aspect of government. His remarks came two days after a months-long audit cited some issues in Arizona's handling of the 2020 election, but confirmed that Biden had won Maricopa County, which was the focus of the efforts, and therefore the state, by even more votes than believed at the time. Critics have argued that the continued push to re-examine the results of the 2020 election in various states is damaging confidence in America's elections. And... The CEO of Pfizer is arguing that first doses of their COVID vaccine and booster shots can be distributed simultaneously. The World Health Organization has said that rather than implementing widespread rollouts of booster shots, wealthier nations should work to get more first shots to countries with lower vaccination rates. In an interview with ABC, Pfizer's Albert Borla said it's not an either-or situation and that out of the 2 billion vaccine doses Pfizer will have produced by the end of September, 500 million of the doses have already gone to middle or lower income countries. The Biden administration last week announced that a third dose of the Pfizer vaccine will be available to people ages 65 and older, as well as adults at an elevated risk. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you're hearing and want to help us out, tell a friend to check out the show. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.